When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. of socks podcast episode four are you out of breath the red, the red Sox have been playing baseball most recently they defeated the detroit tigers dan secatore were you were you happy with that i was happy with it um that was quite the intro <laughs> you're really excited for this yeah you know what uh, I, I know secondhand that you got to be excited coming into the podcast so people you know feel invested. Have you, have you been reading the reviews and they've been telling us to be more excited at the top? I would never read a single comment that ever came in. <laughs> uh, we should note that this is not regular Monsters of Socks. This is, this is Monsters of Socks after dark. Yes. It's Monsters of Socks after dark. It is uh, it is past Brian's bedtime, but he yeah. is here, and uh, we're talking after a week of baseball games, and the Red Sox took two of three from the Orioles, sort of miraculously, and then they were swept by the Pirates and beat the Tigers in Game One of their weekend series. They're three and four. And things have not looked great so far, but some things have looked great. What what are those things? 
the the bullpen for one a major 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 problem last year um outside of your braziers and your orts and even brazier though he did not pitch well today um didn't give up a run in the one inning that he pitched um outside of your braziers and orts the bullpen pretty good that's fair played about the bullpen that's fair uh, not not in mid-season season form is radio announcer Will Fleming, who today <laughs> was apparently watching the Masters as he was announcing because he said totally straight-faced that Hideki Matsuyama was coming up to bat in right. the second inning. I need I need more information about this because I know you, you put it in our Slack, but I I didn't hear it because oh, yeah. I was watching Let's the game on this. Okay, first question. Out. First question. Was Masataka Yoshida up? Yes. yes. Oh no. Will yes. Fleming. Oh no. Oh, and, and 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 Lou Merloni caught it immediately. Yeah. Because I was listening and I was like I'm not the biggest golf fan, and I, I retroactively understood that that's a golfer mm-hmm. who I have heard of. But I was like, is this someone I just don't know that the Red Sox has signed? Like, what, what's going on here? And uh, yeah, but that, as, as we also talked about, you and I, that's the mo- not the most egregious announcer fail that I've heard this year. Yeah, I truly don't believe. I meant to Google this after you again slacked this, and I didn't. But I can't believe this actually happened either. So, on opening day, the Yankees played at one o'clock. They were the first game of the year for anybody, and the Red Sox were at two o'clock. So I decided I'm going to take my dog for a walk at one, so that I can watch the Red Sox starting at two. But it's opening day. I want to listen to the first game of the year. And uh, I turn, tuned into Yankees radio featuring the inimitable John Sterling and Susan Waldman. John Sterling is very old, very old school. For those people that know, how, he's very, how old is he? Because I actually I think curious he's like that. 80. I think he's like 80. All right. I but mean, here's, here's my question about this John Sterling has seemed to be about 80 years old for the last 24 years. So I am curious as to how old he actually is. Holy smokes, he's 84. 84. Okay, he's yeah, that's 84 that years up old. there. And is he still going? Is he, is he doing road trips? He does. He does them all. And oh, goodness. I mean, God bless him. I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm happy for him. I'm not going to be ageist. I will criticize him for what a horrible announcer he is, but that may or may oh, not have terrible. to do with his age. Like I said, he's, he's seemed this way for 24 years. So. He's very, he's very, there's, uh, his style is very like bombastic Broadway, whatever. And I have come to make peace with it. it, it it's amusing to me, but anyhow, this is the first inning of the first game of the year. And I'm walking my dog. And Aaron Judge hits on him. And he's in his... Oh, Aaron Judge! Hits his own run! 
He's back after the 62 road season. So he's he's going through all that. And then just almost as an aside, as he's finishing up. So judge his 63rd. And then he they just move on. Nobody said it. And anything. I was like, did I hear this right? Did he just call it Judge's 63rd? And my instinct was that he looked down at the stat sheet, which had the stats, except for this being the first game of the year, it had last year's stats. And only this would apply in the first game of the year. And I was like, I must be crazy. So I tweeted something about it, waited a couple minutes and searched it. And I thought I was crazy until someone else said, did he just call that? Judge's 63rd home run of the year. Yes, I wasn't crazy. So, Will Fleming, you're off the hook because that's much worse. I'm going to step in and disagree. I don't think it is Ooh. much worse. Uh, wow. What John's – look, and you you just explained why it's it's not worse. You, you said yourself that at this point you find him sort of entertaining. A senile old man who – doesn't realize that it's opening day is charming in its own way. There's nothing charming about, I mean, there's nothing charming about golf in general and a and B certainly nothing charming about Will Fleming watching a golf tournament while he's supposed to be calling the Red Sox game. That's just kind of obnoxious. So I disagree. I would rather, I would rather be stuck with Sterling calling Aaron Judge's 63rd home run on opening day than, than Will Fleming seeing an Asian player in the Red Sox and just naming the only Asian who's in his head at that moment. Well, specific, I mean, he had the, he had the nationality right at the very least. So, you know. That's true. It wasn't you, Chang. It would have been worse you, But it was, uh, they're both, they were both so... Honest, such honest mistakes that it was amusing, especially this early on, to just see how these people operate. And I guess, did Castiglione retire or is he just like severely scaled back? Oh, was was he not on the broadcast today? Not only was he not on today, he was not on for the games I listened to in the Pirate series. Okay, that is interesting. Um, I don't. He is definitely not retired uh, because I was driving home. Um, I mean, you know, I obviously don't listen to many of the games on the radio um, because, for the most part, I'm at home watching. Or I went to two of the games in the first home stand, um, but I heard them for flex, sure. Like they were, flex, they were. I know. Flex. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I did. I. For one of the games, I was out during the early innings, and I was driving up for two minutes, and I 100% did hear Casiglio. So I don't know, maybe maybe he didn't make the road trip this time around, um, but I didn't, I haven't heard anything about that. And, and no, like I, said, he, I definitely uh, have heard him on the broadcast, so he's still out there. Good, because because I love him, and and I have I to say, I have to say that uh, I have pretty high standards when it comes to radio announcers. But I find Fleming and Merloni pretty listenable, so I, 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 I'm not going to sit here and complain about them. Fleming to me is just a is a replacement level radio guy. He doesn't do much for me. Uh, Merloni, I like Castiglione. I think is 
and I'm saying this about even myself. I think it's possible that Joe Stiglione is like maybe one of the single most underrated sports announcers in all of America. I can't believe that this guy's been doing this for 30 years now, probably close to 30 years. He's been doing it for the Red Sox in their most triumphant era. And he doesn't really, yeah, and nobody outside of New England knows his name, first of all. And even inside New England, he does, you know, he doesn't have half of the the dedicated following that Remy once had. Not even close to half. Um, but for me, like, I, I, I in the two minutes that I did hear him during this first homestand, like driving home, and even though it was like forty degrees and windy and cold. Like, if I'm in a car and I hear Joe Castiglione's voice and the low hum of a baseball crowd behind him, like, that's just – that is summer. And I don't know if if we ever lose that. I mean, we will one day. Hopefully it's a long time from now. But if we ever lose that, like, I might – my whole circadian rhythms are going to be thrown off. I'm not going to well, know. It was definitely, definitely a low hum whenever you heard him. Yeah. The Red Sox started uh, – Two and one, albeit the second game won. Adam Duvall game. I mean, today was an Adam Duvall game, too. Uh, Second game was one that did not seem like they were going to win, and then they were swept by the Pirates, which is something you'd never want to hear. I was pretty impressed by the Pirates. I think that's um, that's the caveat. They seemed like a very real team. They seem like a much better team than the Tigers. I will say that. I mean, Brian Reynolds. Brian Reynolds could be a top five MVP guy this year. You know, and if and if O'Neill Cruz. So I, I did the precap with Keaton last night. Boo! Um, <laughs> are you booing the precap or Keaton? Keaton. <laughs> well, someone had to do it. So I, I stepped up. No, nobody signed up on the sign-up sheet that he sent around in Slack. So I said I would do it. Um, and you know, we, you know, he has a segment where he says, you know, who is the MVP of the series? And the, and the MVP of the series was obviously Brian Reynolds. No one, no one's disputing that he was easily the, the, the best player in the field. Um, but I didn't want to just be boring and say that Brian Reynolds was the MVP and Keaton would say Brian Reynolds is the MVP. So I said O'Neill Cruz was the MVP. And I said that purely based on the fact that I was at the third game in person. And I was sitting very close to the field, and I just could not believe the figure that O'Neill Cruz cuts. He is a fucking monster. And just despite his size, like everything he does is so graceful and fluid. Like, I literally can't believe that guy's a baseball player. And, yeah. you know, he's. He's got some issues at the plate. Uh, I mean, he's super young, and he has plenty of time to figure it out. If he does figure it out, my God, like, this guy is going to be like nothing we've ever seen on the baseball field. I had uh, an experience like that many years ago when I was sitting front row at a White Sox game, and Frank Thomas was oh God, swinging a bat. And I literally yeah. said to him, like, you are the biggest person I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> Did, did he respond? No, he did not. He didn't, uh, I, I, I remember when uh, in 95, at like Mo Vaughn's big breakout year, I remember seeing a picture of the two of them next to each other at the All-Star game. 
and like I couldn't believe how small he made Mo Vaughn look. Speaking yeah, of someone we should get on the podcast, by the way. What's Mo doing these days? You know, I, I, I did when I was a cub reporter in Queens, I, I talked to Mo. About... Is this when he was doing his housing thing? Uh no, I just asked him why he was happy to be on the Mets. And he's like, oh, shorter so flight, baby, because he <laughs> because he lived in Florida apparently. So he was like, shorter flight. That was it. Yeah. Uh, well, that was. When's the last was... time he's been back to Fenway Park? Me? No, Mo Vaughn. Mo Vaughn. I don't know. Like I, I know. haven't seen. No, but isn't it weird that I mean Roger Clemens has been back several times now. And, Mo and Mo's Vaughn, from Connecticut. He's from Connecticut Mo's from, too. Yeah, he's he's a New Englander. The guy was below. I mean, well, he's I mean, a, you know, the, he's a quasi New Englander. Nor- Norwalk is close enough to New York City that we're gonna like. Fair enough. Yeah. Um, whatever. He's he would play on the New England national baseball team in the WBC. Um, so he counts. But um, like, yeah, Mo. I mean, you, you were so used to seeing all sorts of like random blasts from the past at Fenway and at Red Sox games in the booth. Anybody, like anybody who played for the Red yeah. Sox. I'm honestly. really like struggling to, like, I don't know. I can't think of any single time I've ever seen him back at Fenway since his, since he retired. In and, fairness and compared to, him, to Clemens, like Clemens is arguably Clemens is on the short list of most hated persons yeah, in Red be, Sox history. Do you know? Do you know what he has over Movon and had his entire playing career and makes Boston more attractive to him than Movon? He's white and Movon is not. <laughs> that is true, but I, despite that, I still would say like Movon was a I think a much more beloved figure. At least oh. I, so oh, I missed I, mean, I missed I missed the 80. I missed Clement I missed 80s Clements. Okay. Because I was born in 85. So when I sort of came online as a Red Sox fan, Roger was already in the kind of lightning rod portion of his career, the early 90s years, um, where he was still really good, but was a clear step down from where he was in the 80s. Um I still knew who he was. He was still like the guy in the Red Sox, but like I felt like at that time in my life, when Clemens was brought up, he was brought up mostly like oh that bum Clemens, who you know I, I mean, mean and, and the only the only thing people were Bill talking Simmons about was, like, made his entire Boston. career off a of column. Roger <laughs> Clemens is the Antichrist. Like that's where yeah. like that okay from that I didn't realize that you were born the same year as my youngest brother. So fuck off. Uh, <laughs> But I also went to a baseball game this week, and I need to uh, talk about my shame about what happened at yeah. that game because I went to Yankee Stadium uh, with a college friend of mine who – his name – he just might he might run the website 538. Who, really? Nobody, know, nobody knows. Bill Simmons? Is that, that's Bill Simmons, right? That's no? not Bill Simmons. No, it's not. No. It did um, start on Grantland though, right? It's Nate something or other. I can't remember what. But so we were sitting pretty close. Uh we were sitting in the 100 level. And in the second inning, after we we had had a, I got there early, we'd had a couple Giancarlo Stanton steps to play. And uh I don't know if you know this, he hits the ball really hard. And he fouled one 
right over the screen. And for the first time in my 45 years on this planet, that ball came right to me. And it was cooking and I didn't catch it. And I will live in shame for the rest of my days. And I have a couple of things that I want to address about this. One, Go for it. I, I, I've, one, I, I, I want a little further explanation of exactly how close you came to catching it and why you dropped it. But then second of all, I also want to say, again, so when you when you texted me about this and you said, just biffed a Giancarlo Stanton foul ball, the thing was cooking. Um, I got to say, my, I, I pictured in my head that you and college friend Nate must have been like sitting down on one of the baselines. You know, and he ripped no, it the wasn't foul cooking ball. that hard. It wasn't cooking well, that hard. Well, that's right. So, I, and I, as you know, I went, so I pulled I up that OVTV and I went to the it second inning. You immediately I looked wanted, it up. I immediately looked it up. I wanted to see, I wanted to see if you're on camera. You were not. Although I didn't check the Phillies broadcast. I guess I should have, I should do my due diligence and check both broadcasts. Um, you were not. But I was surprised to see. I saw it and I was like, oh, you fouled it back. How, how, how hot could the cooking have been? If it wasn't like it wasn't a, it wasn't like a pop fly foul. It was like um, like it glanced. You know when you bat. when you just miss it, it goes right off your bat and goes to the bat. And right. when you don't just miss it, it pops. It was like halfway between those. Look, I should have caught it, but it like I like I saw it coming, and I'm like, hey, I said that to Nate. It was coming, and it's like. It's weird because you spend your whole life going to baseball games, watching these things. And I had twin instincts of that ball is coming right at me. That was like my natural instinct. But then my learned instinct was like, well, no, it doesn't come right at you. It goes to somebody else. So like, Mm. Mm. so I had those two things going at once and it hit the bottom of my hands. Uh, Oh, man. at the bottom of my hands and balanced and the guy two rows behind me got it. And I told him several times later in the game, I was like, I'm going to think about that ball for the rest of my life. <laughs> and, uh, and he just laughed at me. So that, that there was yeah. that. Um, let me ask you a question. If that had been John Carlos Stanton's first foul ball he ever hit in America, would you have kept it? Oh my God. I can't believe that. I can't believe this. The, uh, the, the crazy thing, so everybody knows, but I'm just going to say that Dan is referring to uh, Masa Yoshida hit a home run in the Pirates series. Hit a home and run off a 96-mile-an-hour fastball up in a way that he hammered over the Opposite field, by the way. Opposite field. it was not a cheapie. Like, that thing, that wasn't just a green monster home run. That was a, like, that was out in any ballpark. And importantly, someone in the second row of the monster seas got Seats got the ball and they gave it to someone in the first thank, row of the monster. Thank seats. you for this is a really important detail that has been left out of this story. Yes, thank you for reporting that. That's your and reporter background. There were there. children, yes, thank you. There were children who had possession of the ball, and the Red Sox sent the uh UN delegation that they had to try to get the ball back. And these people would not and did not give the ball back. Jemai was there. Wally was there. Wally was taking pictures with them. Would you think, like, why are you going to take the pictures and then be like, nah, we're keeping the ball? Yeah. So I actually, it it hasn't, uh, well, if you're listening to this today on Friday, um, 
going over the monster.com, the only fun Red Sox website, and you will see a flow chart that I put together for if you get a ball at a, at a ballpark, a flow chart that will help you decide whether you should keep it or not. Spoiler alert, you should almost never keep the ball ever, ever, ever. And I don't just mean historic first home run in America. I mean like any foul ball you get. If you're listening to this podcast, that means you're probably over the age of 13 years old. Don't keep the damn ball. Give it to somebody else who would appreciate it more than you. And in this case, give it to the hitter who would definitely appreciate it more than you. Cash it out, get another ball, and just pretend it was Cash it out? How much are you getting for that ball? 200 bucks tops? They they were sitting in the front row of the monster seat. They were sitting in like $400 seats. Yeah, that's the most they could get for that ball. The most they could get for that ball is a couple hundred. It was... uh, it was unfortunate. There was talk of a curse of the Yoshida ball, but they broke that today because they, they won broke it today. Yeah, and Yoshida had two hits today. He did. I, I will say that, and I, I think this is going to be a nice dyma- dynamic because I, being where I live, have to, I, I'm sort of like being where I live in living situation. I'm sort of forced to listen to the games just as often as I uh, watch them, which I think is good actually for us to have somebody on with eyes on the TV and someone listening to the radio and like Merloni was all over Yoshida for his uh, ground ball tendencies. Okay. Well, you know what that, um, yeah, that was one of my, I had a little segment I was going to spring on you today. Oh Uh, yes. I was going to spring it on you because every time I slack you with a segment idea, you just ignore it for, six hours and then you slack me about something else you were under the impression that like i like slack is the one thing where i do get the notifications but i'm like i'm gonna take care of this when when i feel like getting back on slack i am under the impression that you're passive aggressively telling me they are bad ideas that's the impression no. I am under. no i would tell you straight up if they are bad ideas that's true. You would. Fair enough. Um, all right. Then. So, so like I said, I'm springing. I'm springing this on you. This is a new segment, um, and you're not allowed to complain about the. Even though you are the pun guy, even though you are the New York Post headline guy, you're not allowed to complain about it because you had your chance on Slack. So this is the bryometer. Are you ready? Oh, I'm gonna, I've I'm, never been more ready. I'm gonna. I'm gonna. I'm gonna read off a number of things to you. Things that you are, are it'd be one of two categories. Things that are either potentially exciting or things that are potentially worrisome. For the exciting things, you're going to tell me how excited you are. Again, I'm using this scale again because I think it's really funny, even though no one laughed at it last time on the Roundtable pod. The excitement scale is 1 to 10, Doug Mirabelli, police escorts to Fenway Park. The worry scale is one to ten routine fly balls to Hanley Ramirez and left. All right. So I'll oh, start no, I off. Get it. That's, that's, that's <laughs> as dire as it gets. This is dire as it gets. So I'll start off. What I did have on my list of things to worry about. How worried are you on that scale of one to ten that Masataka Yoshida has put 23 balls in play this year? And 17 of those 23 have been on the ground. Not very. And here's, I'll tell you why. 
unfortunately, it goes back to the Yankees when Hideki Matsui debuted. I, I have a Mets fan friend here who like detests. You're Will Fleming this a little bit right now, but continue. Just wait. He hates the Yankees just as much as we do, if not more. And he made the joke that Matsui, everything Matsui did was a ground ball a second. And that was true for a while when he started. And maybe I'm just conflating the two, but I'm not particularly worried about a guy who didn't even really get a spring training with the Red Sox sort of adjusting to major league baseball, especially when he then just had a, he had like a very clean double later in the game today. So I would say I, I'm three Doug Mirabelli police escorts worried. That three and, three, and by the way, by the way, fly balls to Hanley Ramirez. And maybe this is our generational difference, being that you're my youngest brother. Apparently, no. uh, is that I would have gone with the Rod Beck, um, the Rod Beck. I don't know if he had a police escort, but I know Rod that he Beck was, had a police escort once. I don't know if he I had a police lived, escort, but when he, he lived straight, up like a camper is that what you're thinking? when he when he was traded to the red sox he flew yeah. in went right to the stadium and literally was walked out to the mound and to, to pitch in the game like he came right in i and i, uh, I, and I remember the rod beck era like it was, it was like jason veritek went up to him jason veritek had never met him and he's on the mound and he goes up he's like Hey shooter, what do you throw? And that was it. And like that's that's how it started. Uh, so that's that would be my thing. Is Rod but, Beck still alive? Nope. He Rod Beck is sadly not still alive. I thought I thought that was the case. That's a damn shame because I remember like he just right he retired or he didn't even retire. Just like he couldn't get a job anymore, and he kept playing like independent ball for years after his major league career, and just like living in an RV because he just loved it so much. God bless Rod Beck. We do. So we do need to. We need to have a segment named after Rob Beck somehow. We do. So, how are you feeling about things? Let, let's just let's just go very broad with it, right? Okay. Now. Oh, I wasn't how done. With the bri- I wasn't done with the with the bryometer. <laughs> All right. No, 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 no. Okay. Hold on. Let's finish have, the bryometer, yeah, and then we'll get into. Yeah, because we got exciting we, things too. We have we have to we have to how you feel. Okay. Tell <laughs> me about your feelings, we'll, we'll but not yet. That. All right. Now we're getting. Now we're going to the exciting side. How excited are you on a scale of one to ten that Alex Redugo is slashing 333, 375, 500? Such a that's a clean, pretty line with 10 hits, two walks, and one home run. I'm gonna give it a five. Um and that that's like strictly trying to not to get ahead of myself. It looks mm-hmm. wonderful. So you're not ready to so say far. he's making the leap yet. No, but it, it, you know, this is everything you want from him, and mm-hmm. uh, outside of like shaving, maybe that's that's <laughs> I, I like beards, but like you know, come on, uh, he has been one of the. I mean, a lot of the hitters actually, frankly, have been bright spots to start the season. I mean, I didn't even bother putting like Duvall on this list because that's too obvious. Oh, Duvall. Yes. Duvall is, I mean, this is so far. I'm like, I'm more excited about Duvall so far than Amber Dugo. Even if I think Verdugo is his ceiling as an all around hitter, I think is fair. is like, 
plainly higher than Duvall's. Yeah, but Duvall's not capable of being an all-around hitter, and not he's not like he's not even trying. So it's not. Yeah, but the the offense is is not is not the problem. Yeah, I mean, I did, I did when he signed. I wrote that it it could be, and I truly believe this. It could be the single best signing in the entire offseason. If if he hit, if he plays a competent center field, which he has only he's played like less than seventy games in his career as a center fielder, we have to take the defensive metrics with a giant grain of salt. But the do met, the metrics do show he's above average there. If he's an above average center fielder, and he hits thirty five home runs, which is easily doable for Adam Duvall, I mean that's an incredibly valuable player and they got him on a one-year deal for seven million dollars i mean it's uh you know they traded for schwarber but it's like the schwarber all over again and in the best way exactly in the best way possible schwarber did hit a home run in that uh, yankees game i was at the yankees didn't score in that game so uh red sox nation you should pay me to go to every issue of this game uh, uh, all right back to back to a worrisome one here Unless you have more, do you have more Duval talk? No, I just have him on my uh, dynasty team, so he's been help him and Kike. Oh, nice. So it, so my yeah. power numbers oh, have been through the roof. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, Kike, I mean, he, he did have that home run, but uh, I'm a little worried. He he's not on my runs. list, but does he have two? Yeah, I guess you're right. He, he had two. He had two in a game. Yeah. How worried are you about the fact that the Tampa Bay Rays are six and zero? Not at all, because I'm just not. That's not a team that I expect the Red Sox to compete head to head with. The Sox as far as like, are, yeah, They're as far as like them. a pure win loss thing, and, and like if the Ray, if the Red Sox when they play the Rays can't do shit, that that'll worry me more than what the Rays do against other teams. I'm sort of more focused on the Red Sox writing the ship against the league at large. And I, I agree with you, actually. I wanted to, I wanted to say before you did, like I was really impressed by the Pirates and not just because arguably their two best players, but maybe just two or the three best is Brian Reynolds and key Brian Hayes, both with wise. I, That's true. what am I going to do? You must have felt so. Why is your name spelled with a Y? Did you ever ask your, your parents that, by the way? I did. Not that, not, you're not the only one. I've met, I've met other Brian's with Y's. You're not the only one. It's but it very, is it's unusual. A, it's a very easy answer. Because my last name is Joiner, J-O-I-N-E-R, and they didn't want it to be B-R-I-A-N-J-O-I-N-E-R. They figured they would make it look more... It look cleaner. That's it. That's why. Does okay. I'm gonna actually. I, I, I'm gonna have to type this out. But my instinct would say, the two eyes echoing each other in each part of the name would look kind of nice. But here's what I say. If I was Brian, I'd be all about me. Instead, I ask why. I'm very inquisitive, Dan. Oh wow! Did you just freestyle that? No, I've been <laughs> saying that for like thirty years. Yeah, I can tell. Yeah. Um, all right. On the excitement scale, one to ten, Doug Mirabelli police escorts. How excited are you about the fact that Tito 
The Terry Francona Story is premiering on Sunday, April 23rd at 8 p.m. on the MLB Network. Several MLB personalities who have enjoyed firsthand experience with Francona discuss his unifying presence, winning approach, resilient mentality, signature humor, and strong personal connections, including interviews with Theo Epstein, Kevin Millar, John Lester, Dustin Pedroia, Tamarlo Hale, and Kurt Schilling. How excited are you? Well, I was really excited until the Kurt Schilling part. Uh, oh, man, that's like, that's like seven and a half. That's like seven and a half. Tito is... Uh, I, he it, He's going to be remembered for the Red Sox, obviously, uh, first and foremost. But one of the most universally beloved baseball figures, I think, in the game. Like, I don't Absolutely. think... I don't think anybody has a... Like that Trevor dude Bauer. was Trevor that dude, perform, but that. That, that's that's like <laughs> that is that is like the single greatest compliment yeah. you could pay him. Yeah, if Trevor um, Bauer hated me personally, that's how I would introduce myself to strangers. I'd be like, hi, uh, my name is Dan. Trevor Bauer once threw a baseball over the center field fence when I walked up in. Oh really? He did that to Tito. You remember that? Oh no. <laughs> Yeah, that was right before, and they traded him like like oh, two days later. Oh, I do remember that. I do yeah. remember that. Tito came out to take him out of the game, and Bauer fucking threw the ball over the center field. Well, we know he's done a lot worse, so yeah. Tito could have gotten it a lot worse. <laughs> that's true. Yeah. yeah. Uh, no, that's uh, that's really wonderful. I'd like that's a thing I'll actually watch. That which I, yeah, I might too. I'll, I'll eventually watch that. So let's give that seven and a half police escorts. Yeah, I'm ex- I'm really excited to hear Theo in particular talk about him. I, like I I feel like I I feel like I know what Pedroia is going to say about him, um, but Theo is a guy who you don't hear a ton of. Although he's done the podcast rounds with respect to the rule changes a little bit, um, and every time I do hear him, like on a podcast, I'm always kind of surprised at how candid Theo is. Like he's he's most GMs today pride themselves on being Belichickian, you know, and just like not saying anything. And I, I feel, I don't think ever really was like that as a GM. And he's certainly, certainly not like that now. So I'm, I'm excited to hear from him. It's weird. I, I like, I'm way more excited to hear from the players because I feel like what, it, you know, a manager's relationship with the players is like the defining feature of the job. And I, I just want to hear, yeah stories about that and i feel like theo no matter no matter what he says he's gonna be speaking from a place of remove and like a place of hey geography which the whole thing will be a hey geography that's the whole point of the you know if you have a documentary on mlb network about you it's to talk about how great you are is, but I just want to hear. Is that a soft G in that word? I have to admit. I, I have to admit that I, don't I thought really it was. That. I don't know. I don't know. Hey, geography. My I have a journalist friend. Her name is Kichagi. She wrote the book on Sumner Redstone. Um, really? That, yeah. That uh, I was actually listening to the Bill. I Simmons just, I just, just read, read the, I read the review of that in the New York Times book review. It's a great book. It's a great book. She actually. Um, little look behind the curtain i don't think she'll mind me saying this leastwise because she'll never know why i said it is that um on succession in the second season there was a wall street journal reporter who was a was clearly based on her or like based on the what she was because she's a wall street journal reporter 
And I was like, I texted her. I was like, you know, there's a thing. And she was like, actually, I don't love succession because pretty it's much everyone down. tells me the reason I didn't get a movie deal out of this book was succession exists. So this oh. already exists. Well, that's so interesting, though, because like Hollywood and the streaming network seem to have no problem making like four different Elizabeth Holm pieces in, in, in a two year period. But I don't think people really know Sumner Remstone. And I clearly, plainly, the makers of Succession have read like there are so many plot points about Sumner Redstone's life that yeah. are in succession that it like... seems to be I, I think you're right like and, and and you know just just the article that i read in the book review opened my eyes to a lot about him it seems like he's that succession is more based on him than it is the murdochs which when it it's first like came 50, out everyone like was like 50, oh, it's, murdochs, murdochs, murdochs. it's like 50 50 like yeah. i think the family stuff is probably based more on the murdochs <laughs> but the actual character of logan roy is based maybe even more on Sumner Redstone. This is the Red Sox podcast, baby. This is what you get. <laughs> the, the Boston Redstones. Yeah. That's what we're talking about. Um, uh, all right, I got one more. And I we'll couldn't decide. I couldn't decide whether to put this in the worry or excitement category. So I'll let you decide where you want to put it. How either excited or worried are you about the fact that yesterday I was able to buy a $8 ticket to get into Fenway Park. And then I proceeded to sit in the front row behind the dugout with four seats on either side of me completely unoccupied. I I, um, I was thinking about that. It's tough to get swept by the Pirates. And I think that you and I have been pretty bullish on the season and it's a little contrarian take because I think a lot of people are burnt by last year. And we talked about this. Or yeah. I don't think our, it's just our, our group chat talked about this on opening day, that getting into opening day was far easier than it ever had been previously. Oh, yeah. Super easy. I do think that this team is on the upswing and that this is actually sort of the, the time to get in. But uh, I, I think it's a good gauge of how the fans generally feel, and certainly getting yeah. swept by the pirates doesn't help. But I'm happy I, for you. You didn't I drop didn't a too. ball. <laughs> I didn't, didn't drop, drop a ball like I did. Yeah. Well, it's with with the netting there now. Like I had no chance of even getting a ball. Um, I was. I mean, look, it, for so long, it was such a hassle to try to go to any Red Sox game. And the fact that it is now incredibly easy to do so, and then when you get there, it's incredibly easy to go to the bathroom and get a beer and move around where you sit wherever you want is great. Um, I think the crowd has regained a little bit of its edge. Um, you know, I'll just say so. Like I said, I was, I was sitting in the front row for about half the game. Behind me were three kids who were who had clearly. I mean, I, they they. they I talked to them. They were skipping class from Boston Latin down the street. Um, and, you know, they were like it, three teenagers who were like super into the socks and they were sitting in the second row behind the dugout, which is 10 years ago wouldn't have been possible. So, like, I'm glad that people like that are in the ballpark again. 
I'm glad that the, the game day experience is a little easier. Um, that's all pretty good. But I do think, you know, you said pe- you think people are burned by last year. I think what I'm starting to think is that obviously this all goes back to the Mookie trade. But more than that, it's the fact that the Mookie trade happened immediately before the pandemic. I think the combination of those two things really, really drastically changed the Red Sox fan base and sort of the, and the relationship between Boston and the team in a way that, in a way that we haven't fully comprehended yet. Um, Cause it's just shocking. I mean, I was there on opening day too. Opening day was not a sellout. Like it wasn't no matter what the Red Sox said. and it wasn't just because it was freezing cold. And a lot of people who had purchased tickets didn't go um, there were, you know, in the, in the right field grandstand, those were sections of the ballpark sections one through four, like those sections were less than 50% full, which suggests that those just, those tickets just went unsold. Um, that is really shocking. I, I've never really thought we would ever see that happen in Boston again, opening day, go, go, you know, unsold. Yeah. I mean, opening day has been cold before. Of course, and, and for yeah, and and, yeah. and 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 it's sold out. I think it's way more about last year, uh, in in concert with the Mookie trade and the Xander, whatever. But I also think that this is the 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 bottom of the barrel because, like you, I think the Red Sox have a little bit more juice than they've shown so far this year because they've hit when they haven't pitched and they haven't hit when they have pitched. And Whitlock had a, had a great outing tonight in Portland. So he's coming, he's probably done down there. He'll he'll be up here soon. So goodbye to Cutter Crawford. I'm assuming he's going to be the first to go. And, uh, I mean, it was looking really bad for Chris sale through eight pitches today. Oh, I'm still worried about Sale, even though he, yes, every time I listen to Chris Sale, especially listening on the radio, it's all this. I was thinking about you and I just predicting yeah. great things for him. I'm like, well, this sucks. Well, the thing that worried me particularly about today, you know, I, I, I was not worried after his start on Saturday. I, I really wasn't. Um, because his stuff looked so good on Saturday against the Orioles. He was hitting 97. He was burying sliders in, in, you know, in, in hitters' ankles. Um, he just didn't have his command, and, and he was leaving too many pitches over the plate, which it's, he hasn't thrown a major league pitch in three years, just about. So, like, that's to be expected. Totally fair. Today, not only did he really struggle with command in the first few innings, he also – I think he topped out at 93 today. I and like only once or twice. Yeah. Um, that's when you see a when you see a pitcher do that, like you know, one start later, drop four miles an hour off their fastball, that's usually like an alarm bells thing. That's usually like a something might be wrong here thing. Yeah, it uh they were very, very uh cognizant of this on the radio broadcast and, and talking about it, but it did seem before the home runs uh, at least that he had somehow harnessed 
his, that his slider was good enough that his fastball was working even. Yeah, he's getting three, three but you don't, but you, but you don't want to, you don't want to have to depend on your right. 92, 93 mile per hour fastball. Yeah. And so, then, and I want to shout out to real quick. Um, Jacob Roy wrote a piece on our site earlier this week where he it's it go check it out. It's called Chris sale and the, uh, the, uh, no good, terrible, maybe okay outing that he wrote about the Orioles, and it's filled with gifts. And he brought up a really good point that I haven't heard anyone else bring up, um, which is that remember the thing about Chris Sale. Remember how for years he never once shook off his catcher. That was like a thing with him, and and he got away. And his whole thing was he never wanted to think on the mound. And it worked for him because his stuff was so good. And Jacob's point in the piece was that, like, his stuff isn't that anymore. And so he's going to have to adjust and actually start being a pitcher instead of just a thrower. And is he going to be capable of doing that since he's never spent his entire career not thinking on the mound? And now, all of a sudden, you know, if if his fastball isn't going to consistently hit 97 anymore – and if he isn't going to have the best command about it, he's going to have to be smarter. I think he can do it. And I I do like that. <laughs> I don't know if you saw that Zach Greinke shook off his own pitch uh, a couple <laughs> nights ago. I did, yeah, I did see that, yeah. Uh, okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at Chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's Chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. I'm not all that worried about the velocity, however... I do know that from a pure data point, data point standpoint, it's really bad to lose that much velo from one start to the next. Like it's oh, just, God, yeah. it only means bad things, but I think that he can pitch in, in this, in the way that you're suggesting he hasn't had to because his stuff was just that good. Maybe I'm just in denial and maybe I'm just going down with the ship, but I think that these are going to be about as bad as uh, two starts as we've had this year, unless he, they're like, he's got a dead arm or something. Yeah, I thought it was funny. This is not Chris Sale, obviously, that like Madison Bumgarner, his first start of the year, got rocked by the Dodgers as he always does. Mm-hmm. And he's like, I don't feel good. Let's check my arm. How's my arm? And and he went to the doctor. The doctor's like, No, your your arm's fine, man. It's just yeah. You, you, you just, don't, just finished you, spring training. <laughs> yeah, you just don't, you just don't you just don't have it. 
I don't think we're there with sale yet, but it hasn't been the most encouraging first two starts. Yeah. And he did turn things around later in the game. Um, he's still striking like, out a ton of people, even he struck even out today. Seven. He struck out seven today. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, and he turned things around, but like we were discussing, the Tigers lineup is just, is just sad. It really, it's, really is. It's There's, pretty rough. Oh God. There's no one, there's no one in that lineup who's close to Brian Reynolds. If we're going to, Stick to the Pirates comparisons. There's um, nobody and, named Brian at all. Like no. nobody even has Brian in their name. No Brian's with Y's or I. Um. So yeah, it, look, I, I'm not going to start worrying either. I think I think we need to see him pitch for at least a month before we can get any sort of firm idea on what he's going to look like this year. Well, but, I think that. I think what's been thrown into relief, like into sharp relief, is the fact that it was not some sort of message sending move to make him start the second game of the year. It was instead of the first game, it was like he ain't ready. Like he's not, he's like he is slotted in exactly where he deserves to be slotted in. And He's working his way back. But the thing is, I I, it, I want Chris Sale to be a season-long project. I want yeah. to see him. If he can make all his starts or 90% of them, he can lose 20% off his peak and still be incredibly valuable. Oh, if he, I mean, if we get 80% of peak Chris Sale, that's still like the best pitcher the Red Sox have had in, in – in four years, <laughs> well, I guess except, except, except for Garrett Willock. Come on, it, baby. Well, yeah, yeah. Well, hey, we'll see. I, we'll see. I, I, I have more I faith. In, I have more faith in Bayo than Whitlock. I'm a huge oh. Bayo guy. Uh, ten step, baby. Um, well, I mean that applies to both of them. <laughs> but Whitlock, uh, that's true. I feel like Whitlock, Whitlock, Whitlock still more... hasn't proven it as a starter, or you know, over the long term. He's 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 had some decent starts here and there, but he hasn't uh, he hasn't locked down that role. Nonetheless, both of those guys uh, would be extremely helpful on a team that scored nine runs in the first three games of the season. Yeah, that's for uh, sure. And won two of them, but one of them only because of a world historic fuck up uh by ryan mckenna i believe it was uh i do think that i've seen i i don't know about you i i felt like there's a lot of drop balls on both sides in the early going there's been a Um, lot of talk about the wind at fenway in this opening series um and there has been a lot of development around the ballpark a lot of like mid-rise 15, 20 story development right around the ballpark. So I suppose it is possible that we are seeing a shift in how the ballpark plays. Um, and in because because the Raffi the Raffi drop what, what yeah. like he didn't I don't even think he touched it. That ended up yeah. being it was the same uh, result except for it didn't end the game as the. Uh, Yoshida to Duvall home run. Like I believe Smith and, and Yoshida Jigba had a home Yoshida run had an ugly drop and left too. Although that may have, that probably had more to do with him approaching the monster than the wind. But 
But as long as he, my hope now is that the Pirates end up being much better than we suspected, and we can look back on the beginning of the year and be like, "Oh, well, we thought the Pirates were trash, but, but actually, also just yeah. I kind of want the Pirates to be good because, like, I got nothing against the Pirates. Like, you get kicked that long, you got cool colors. Yeah, you're the yeah. only likable team in Pittsburgh. So, Go and ahead. also, frankly, like, given. I mean, I I think I my official prediction for the Red Sox this year is 84 wins. So if that's what I think the true talent level of the team is, I can't really get that upset slash surprised that they get swept by a bad team. That's yeah. you know, that's what 84 win teams do. They're gonna they're gonna have their share of wins against good teams, and they're gonna stink the bed against the bad teams too. Like I, you know, I can't. Um, if this happened in July, I don't think anyone would raise their eyebrows at it. Just, just you know, happen to have it. Like, yeah, they had a crappy three games. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I agree. Because I, I thought about that too. That especially when they won today, that was a big. Or when people are listening to this yesterday, uh, that you know, we all expect them to be within a random uh, assortment of bounces of 500. And yeah. that's what this look that this is exactly what that looks like. Yeah. They're three and four. <laughs> they're exactly, they're exactly where we would expect them to be. If you expect them to be a team right around 500. So what have you been like particularly encouraged by that you've seen so far, if anything? So I mentioned the bullpen, of course. Um, I'm encouraged by the, depth of the lineup I think uh, I mean I did I did mention to Keaton last night that you know the, the game that I went to against the Pirates the the bottom four hitters were uh, Christian Arroyo, Raimel Tapia Yu Chang and Connor Wong and when that lineup was in there the, the lineup looked a little less potent than than you know you'd like to see but overall, I think with the everyday lineup, um, and and if we can get some a little bit better hitting from from guys like Arroyo and Tapia, um, it's a it's a it's a lengthy lineup, and it's a lineup of guys who all have different approaches a little bit, which I think will make it hard on opposing pitchers. Um, and and let's not forget too that you know for as miserable as last year was, they were still an above average offensive team last year. And yes, they lost Xander and they lost JD, but Justin Turner is probably a, a like for like replacement for for JD at the very. Wait, least. wait, what? You? I'm sorry. What did you say? Could you repeat that? I said Justin Turner is probably a like for like replacement for JD. Thank you, thank you, thank you for saying that. that they right? mentioned on the radio today that going back to like last June or July, he's the he has like a 352 average, which is the best best in baseball. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm still not, I mean, he's 38 years old. I, I'm still not completely sold that he's going to be a solution all year long. Aren't um, you 38 years old? And I, you don't, if, let me, you want to know how, how well I'd be doing if I were seeing up for the Red Sox right now? That's fair. That's fair. Uh, yeah, it wouldn't be good. Um, but no, I think so. In general, I like the length of the lineup. I like the bullpen. I would like to see Cora 
be a little bit more aggressive with his bullpen usage now that, in my opinion, there's four very, very reliable pitchers at the back end of the bullpen in, in Jansen, Martin, Blyer, and Schreiber. Um, and I'd like to see him use these guys earlier, which he did today. Schreiber was the first guy out of the pen. I would have liked to have seen that on opening day. I, um, this is, But again, this is something that ticks me off about almost all modern bullpen usage is that, you know, it's, it, the formula is if you are behind, you do not go to your best relievers. Um, and so you end up in a situation where on opening day, Kluber puts them in a hole. And then the next guys out of the pen were Zach Kelly, Ryan Brazier and Caleb Ord, who are the three worst pitchers on the team. <laughs> And if you look at it from like a, you know, from a, just a big picture standpoint, you want your best pitchers to pitch as much as possible. And you want your worst pitchers to pitch as little as possible, right? That's, that's a very basic way of looking at the game. And the way that modern bullpens are constructed where your best pitcher is the closer who only pitches in the save situation, which the Red Sox have only had once so far this week, this year. So Kelly Jansen's pitched twice. You know, he's he's your best guy in the arm. He's your best arm in the open. He's only pitched twice, whereas, like, Caleb Bort's already thrown six innings or something like that. Um, this is something that's bothered me about modern bullpen usage for years. It's not limited to Cora. But I do like the fact that with four guys that I think are you can really depend on, as opposed to last year when most of the time last year there were really only two in those, in those names – jumped around as to who they were based on injury and, and vaccine availability. Like at times you had Hulk and Whitlock at times you didn't have Hulk at times you didn't have Whitlock Schreiber was, was in the mix pretty much the whole time, but you've kind of never had more than two guys. You liked out of the bullpen. I really like four out of the bullpen. I like Winkowski. I, I like Winkowski too. I mean, he's been great. So make it five. Um, so I would like to see core be more aggressive with, with, bringing in some of those bullpen studs earlier in the game like he did today. I like Penn, like the longer lineup. Really worried about the defense, though. Um, Bob Osgood wrote a piece about the defense on OverTheMonster.com today. Red so- small sample size, but the Red Sox are bottom of the league in defensive run saved right now. And what's particularly concerning is, you know, you look up the middle, Kike has not been good at shortstop. It's his first, it's, it is his natural position. It's the position he came up as, but he has never played it for – I think he's, he's played like fewer than 20 games at, at the major league level at shortstop, and now he's over 30. Duvall we've talked about in center field. Um, Christian Arroyo is competent at second, but he's, he's, he's never been a that's, – that's never been his calling card. And, and we should also mention, too, he's, he's been competent at second throughout the shift era. Now, with, with the shift gone, the job of second baseman is suddenly a lot harder. Um, so I am definitely worried about the defense. Yoshida, you know, had that bad drop in left field. Verdugo is Verdugo. This could be a really ugly defensive team. <laughs> when you think about it, like, who, honestly, in, in, the, in the everyday lineup right now, who's, who's the above-average defender? Could be Duvall, as I mentioned. Duvall's career – Numbers in center field are above average. That also accounts for fewer than 80 games. Um, but other than that... My, my instinct is Cassis, honestly. Yeah, 
It, that you might be right. He's looked good with the glove. He made a huge boneheaded play against the Pirates yesterday when he when he tried to throw Cruz out at third. That was, it, but that was that was like a bad decision. You know, yeah. I I don't think that uh, speaks to his defense to the same degree as the game uh, the yeah. play he's also where failed, he's failed to make a couple of scoops on some throws too. One of one of I'm one not of saying he's good. Game, I'm just saying he's probably the best relative might to his be, position. Might be the defense could be a real problem this year, and without the shift, it could be exposed more than more than it would have been in past years. Certainly, Rafi now has a lot more on his plate and a lot more eyes on him knowing that, I mean, it's not, he will not necessarily be the third baseman uh, going forward. But yeah, yeah, it's, it's tough. Uh, Just, just to quickly get back to something we're talking about. I don't know if they talked about this on the uh, TV broadcast. It was pretty cool that John Schreiber's from Detroit and actually lives in Detroit. I read that this morning. Well, they had this, they had a <laughs> Will Fleming. It, it, he was just relaying the story. He wasn't like genuflecting in it, but he was like, he he has a newborn kid. He's like, he hasn't seen his newborn kid in two weeks or two. Oh, months. it wasn't two. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Two months. Two yeah. months. Two months. And but but the other part was that uh, he came on in this game, and he's from Detroit, and the first person he was facing was Miguel Cabrera in his final. Yeah, that's uh, cool as hell. That was that was cool. That they, they would just be like, uh, th- "This is for a hometown kid. It doesn't get better than this." And I lo- and yeah. as you said, we'll give Schreiber some love because like he's good. Like he, you're right. The the back it. My instinct was like, no, the bullpen hasn't been great, but that's because, as you said, we've seen the shitty pitchers so much. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Once you get past the Braves, if Taylor Ward is in the game, it's not what you want. Yeah, no, it's not. Um, but I, but like, yeah, I, but every bullpen is two guys at the back end who suck. It just so happens that the way the games have have run their course so far this season, we've seen those guys a lot. We've seen those two guys a lot. And think about it too: if if Bayo and Whitlock come back, and and I won't even we haven't even mentioned the name James Paxton, but theoretically he could be in the mix too. <laughs> But that's gonna what eventually Tanner Houck is probably gonna find himself back there too. Um, yeah, the bullpen could end up being a real strength of this team. I gotta say, uh, I did one of the TV broadcasts I watch. They had a extend. You probably saw this. They had an extended give and take with uh, Whitlock and Houck on the bench uh, during the game, and it was a. Uh, it was it was really wonderful. Uh, it, and and I gotta say that uh, they're doing a lot around O'Brien to make him sort of like perk up, and I think Uke is really good for him. Uh, mm. I, I've enjoyed Uke this season quite a bit, though I, I do have to say that O'Brien was trying to uh, talk down on the Japanese league where they were talking about how Otani played on the uh, an island north of the mainland of mm-hmm. Japan, right? And that Kato. right and he said, you know, and, and they don't fly anywhere in the Japanese league. He's trying to make it sound like a hardship. Yeah. 
And Yuke was like, yeah, we took the bullet trains and it you took the ruled. best fucking trains in the world. Exactly. <laughs> he was like, yeah, man. It was I missed awesome that. I would have been so pissed off about that. First of all, first of all, like half the teams are in the Tokyo area. Right. So they don't, it's, it's, and, and the Tokyo area has the single best public transportation of any city anywhere in the world. Um, yeah, come on, Dave O'Brien. Jesus Christ. Come on, get your head out of your ass. Yeah, of course they really, take trains. The trains are amazing. Good for it, you for correcting it, the record there. Yeah, it was like, it was very cringe for him to be like, yeah. And they don't fly anywhere. It's like, yeah, oh, Jesus but 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 I that's why I think Yuke is actually this was very specifically in his wheelhouse because he did play uh, yeah. in Japan, but it was a very good example of what Yuke can bring to the broadcast. I found him like obviously I miss Eck and obviously mm-hmm. I miss Remy, and like one was someone I grew up with. That's Remy. Eck was someone who was just so alive and yeah. genuine. It's like, you know, he's infectious. All I could think about during the World Baseball Classic, and I don't remember, I'm sure I'm sure we touched upon John Smoltz and what a god awful job he did throughout that tournament. Um oh no, hold on, don't limit it to that tournament. <laughs> always, yeah. It was particularly bad in the WBC because that you know the Look, the thing that everyone always complains about with John Smoltz is he just never seems like he wants to be there at all. Um, and that's even during the regular season game. That's even during the World Series. But with the World Baseball Classic, there was the added layer of the fact that he had no respect for that competition whatsoever. So his usual, I don't want to be here, was dialed up to like 11 during the tournament. And everyone was carping about it on Twitter every game. And all I could think about was how amazing Eckersley would have been in that scene in that tournament. Yeah. It's, it's, it's the difference. And, and we touched on this a lot talking about the WBC. It's sort of like difference between loving baseball as a sport and loving baseball viewed through the prism of major league baseball in the 162 yeah. game season. And I think Major League Baseball has correctly, and I, I got to say, and we'll, I'm going to set you up here because I know you're a fan of this. Like, <laughs> There's been a lot of anti-Madfred talk for years, and he has earned every word of it. But between mm-hmm. the World Baseball Classic being, and he didn't even, that's not even his thing. I mean, he's was, probably yeah. involved. He's probably yeah. involved in it, but he wasn't the commissioner when they started it. And the rule changes, specifically the pitch clock, mm-hmm. things are looking up, I think. And I know really you're looking up, yeah. You, I believe, said you wanted, you said in the, the OTM Slack that you wanted to marry the pitch clock. <laughs> and, that, and I'm glad you brought this up right after we were speaking of O'Brien, because I, I didn't hear the Japanese train comment. But uh, other than that, the thing that's bothered me most, and I'm pretty sure I've heard him already say this exact same thing twice this season, you know, a, a, after a pitch clock violation. Pitch clock violation on the on the hitter. And he, he definitely said it after the Devers strikeout on opening day. Um, you know, hey, we all want a faster game. But what happens 
if there's a violation like this in the bottom of the ninth of Game 7 of the World Series. Like, yes, you're right, Dave O'Brien. Jesus fucking Christ. In this wildly impossible scenario that you've invented in your head, it would be controversial. Um, but you know what? It isn't Game 7 of the World Series right now. You were saying that on day one of the pitch clock being implemented, dude. Just shut up. Just shut up. Just shut up. And it's not like nobody's thought of this. And this is another thing that bothers me. About they will have had a minimum of like 180 games at that yes, point. Yes, yes. Even more with spring training. It's like yeah. if they don't get it by then, it's on them. And so much of what he says is just stale stuff like that that's been brought up ad nauseum. Or like, we'll, we'll get to the end of the year and there'll be a discussion about who's, who the MVP should be. And, you know, somebody will bring up Mike Trout. And Mike Trout's and the Angels are in last place. And Dave O'Brien will say, well, but have you considered how valuable could Mike Trout have been? If you took him off the Angels, they'd still finish in last place. What do you think? Like, yes, Dave O'Brien, we've thought about this for 30 years. We have, just as we've all discussed the awkwardness of, of the pitch clock violations. Like, we've all discussed this. You're not bringing anything new here. He just, God, he's just the most stale it's, guy in the world. How can you not? I, I, I will give. Him, I will give him. I, I will just say this: like, he's very professional. Obviously, I think to a fault, but I don't think it's a a, a point of in his favor that. Look, I get into the NFL draft. I'm not really a college football guy, so I was looking up highlights, mostly in the sense of like I played dynasty football, so I have to draft some guys. So I was looking up highlights of players who are expected to go high, who are in the skill positions. There's a guy, Zay Flowers, who played at Boston College. So I was watching like a highlight package of his. And understandably now, like it didn't, understandably once I started, like Dave O'Brien was announcing some of the BC games. It makes sense, right? But it was like not, at all marked, like there's, there's no difference between him doing the Red Sox and him doing a BC game or him doing a, probably a college basketball game. It's it's That's all really the same point. thing. I want it to be, you know, you want it to be special. Yeah. You that want is, the Red that Sox is a really good special. point. That is a really good point. You don't, I, I, I'm not, I'm not. Like McDonough, like- McDonough also announced other things, but when he did the Red Sox games, you knew, you felt that was the important thing for him. Yes, yes, yes. And I'm not doubting that Dave O'Brien loves baseball, but you're right. Like, you don't, you don't sense that during the games. He's just, he's just generic, competent announcer, number one. Like, like that's who he is. And I kind of feel the same way about Will Fleming. Um, but that, yeah, that's a really good point. You should be able to tell the difference between Dave O'Brien on the Sox mic and Dave O'Brien doing BC football. Like he should be way more knowledgeable about one. And you should be able to tell that. He should be way more passionate about one. And you should be able to tell that. And if you can't, then yeah, I think that does speak. I, th- I think you've just kind of figured, you just got to the root of the Dave O'Brien problem. <laughs> I think you yeah. really did. Like he's just was- too... Polished, like he he tries to be too polished. Let me say it that way. Like he just tries to be what he tries to sound like. Like sports announcers sound 
when they're the straight men on an SNL skit. I mean, he sounds like a first responder. Like if you were to call someone, I need someone to announce this game. The guy quit. Like I come in, he would sound no different yeah. than he does. That's his name. And to him plainly. And look, he, he got this job. So, you know, it was something right for somebody, but to him, this is like, this is what he wants to be. He wants to be consistent across things, but I don't find it particularly compelling. And I don't think that's particularly unique to me. I, I, I am not the biggest Fleming fan, but I will say that I have enjoyed him more as the lead announcer not I. I prefer Castiglione. Like that's not. I'm not saying I prefer him to Castiglione, but he is now the lead announcer, or at least the games I have listened to. And Merloni is the color man, and it leaves Fleming less time. He actually needs less time to sort of be a homer, and I felt that that was his like real weakness as a color man was to really get caught up in like, well, everything is screwing the Red Sox, you know, just like that knee jerk. And you kind of can't do that as the lead announcer. And I'm not saying like, I have found the radio broadcast so far this year. Not bad. And I, I'm, I mean that as a compliment, honestly. Yeah. Do you think, um, I think when it's all said and done, Merloni might actually end up in the nest and seat for 30 years and not Kevin Euclid. Oh, I, I mean, I think yeah, I totally agree with you. And I think that's just because Kev, I think there's a, there's many factors going on here. One of them being that like, for the same reason Euclid is interesting, he might not be interested in the job for a particularly mm. long time. Right. And, and maybe it might be that Merloni, look, Merloni has been on radio now for, 15 years in various forms. So he has a little bit of a head start on Euclid. Um, but you, and this kind of goes to your point too, like you still sounds new to the job. It's not necessarily a bad thing in every case. Merloni does not. Mer- Merloni seems like he was born for it. I mean, he's not Jerry Remy, but he's, he's like, this, he's got all the, I mean, he's from Massachusetts and played for the Red Sox and was a light hitting. You can, you can imagine this being the job that he wants to do forever. And I don't yeah. suspect that of you. I, I, I sort of look at, at it with you the same way I look at him going to Japan where he's like, this would be very cool to do for a year or two, like really hard. Yeah. And then, cause he's, you talks about his like, He's got breweries, right? Like he's got and, and, and coffee shops and stuff. Yeah, right. And, so like, yeah, he, and you're right. Like that does make him better at his job. That he's obviously curious about the world and doesn't. He's not John Smoltz who just wants to go from a golf course to the booth where he complains about not being on the golf course. Yeah, but I yeah I think I totally agree with you in the sense that that seems like Merloni's natural landing spot. Uh, especially for Nesson, that's like Nesson is piecing it together after having an incredible run, especially in the Color Man booth. 
yeah. uh, with with both Remy and Eckersley. And that is not something, you know, Remy was one of a kind and Eckersley is sort of lightning in a bottle that way. Like I, I, you know, for a long time, because, you know, I know X debuted with the Sox and came back to the Sox, but I never, it wasn't like, I was surprised that he was so interested in being associated with the. Oh, I was, I was shocked about it. I was shocked about it. And I had a, and I had a a friend, a roommate in college who was from Oakland and who was a massive A's fan. Um, And he, it actually pissed him off that Eck was in the booth. I mean, this guy, I, I mean, he was a massive. Ace fans are great, by the way. <laughs> this based on my experience with this guy. Um, they, they just, they, they don't show up to the ballpark, but they love the shit out of that team. And they really know it. They're really hardcore fans. Um, and, and, you know, I was, I was roommates with him sort of like in the heart of the Rivera dominant era. And whenever anyone would say anything about Rivera clearly being the greatest closer of all time, he would just swoop in with a million Eckersley facts to, to, to disprove that. And it, it, it legitimately pissed him off that Eck was doing the Red Sox games. He's like, what the fuck? And I get it. It would be like, it would, it would be like for us if Mo Vaughn was doing games for the Angels. Or not even, no, or that, that, that would even be fine. That would be fine. It would be like Pedro doing games for mm. the Phillies. To me, yeah. like something yeah. like that, where it's like the only way I understand it is that, uh, and I will never say here. anything yeah. bad right. about A's fans. Is that just there just aren't aren't that. <laughs> and uh, I'm not. I, is it that, or is it that he just did he like? I mean, like you said, he started with the Sox. So did he, he just buy a did house? He finished with the Sox just, too. He did finish. Well, I don't know. Yeah, right. I don't know if they were his last team, but he certainly came back. Right. I mean, yeah. Right. Season. Exactly. I just didn't remember whether it was his yeah. very last. Um, actually, I was just uh, on opening. Was it opening day? Um, after the Sox game, Nesson showed Pedro's debut in uh, in 1998, and Eckersley was in the bullpen for that game. So I guess that's Ooh. came back. Um, Pedro was outstanding that night, and it was against the Ace. It was in Oakland, <laughs> believe it or not. Um, so I, I, what I figured with Eckersley was just that, like, oh, he bought a house in Wellesley or something in 1977, and just never sold it. <laughs> so like, he came back to the Sox, moved back into his house, and it's like, I like this house. I'm just gonna stay here. Uh, but I, you know, who knows? Yeah, I, it, that that I, I never quite understood that. Yeah, that was something where I was just like, you know what? Yeah. I'm just going to take this W because yeah, we'll take it. he should not be here, and uh, and he's wonderful. But like, for the same reason that he was there, I give him props for being like, no, I want to spend time with my grandkids. Uh, peace. I'm, I'm out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I think that, as we've talked about, O'Brien is going to be O'Brien. But I think you add something really interesting, and I think that this is truly like – sort of a bridge part of like part of a bridge couple years for Nesson. And I think you're bridge year for the booth bridge year for the team. Totally right about Merloni. Like that being his ultimate, uh, his ultimate landing spot because it's like, he's born to do it. You know, it's like, yeah. it's, 
he's he's the uh, he's the guy. So l- correct me. You told me this. Uh, people will be listening to this on Friday. There's no game on Friday, right? No game. Yeah, two Fridays in a row where the Sox don't play. They'll be the only two Fridays of the year outside uh, the, the period. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Almost minus, will be on that. I mean, minus rainouts, which which I always do root for rainouts this time of year because as we, I, I can't really go to the night games. I can go to some of the day games. So I root for like April rainouts because you know if I see that, that means at some point in July or August, there's going to be like a two o'clock day game randomly that no one will go to. That's yeah, what I'm rude for. Yeah, I telling you, guys, I'm old. Going to just going to just one night game all the way through, even if it was much shorter. Uh, taking the train home and God, man, uh, late went to bed late. Anyhow, what else you got? Socks else? after dark. I think that's it. Yeah, yeah, I think that's do it. Have a, do you have a mortal enemy of the week? I mean, the guy who ended up John Carlos Stanton's ball instead of you, probably. I mean, it's did probably he give myself. It, was there was there a child nearby? And did he give it to a child? So he, I, so after it went like off, it went off the bottom of my. People asked, did it hurt? And what I've said is like, I actually think it would have, if I had gotten my hands on it better, a, I would have caught it, and b, it would have hurt. It but it was because I didn't because I didn't get it perfectly hit the bottom of my hands. Uh, I think he was going after it with like a teenager, but this is Yankee Stadium, so teenager, you're <laughs> you're an adult. Yeah. Uh, but no, it was. Uh, I probably I'd probably go with I'd probably go with myself or the per- no here's here's what I'm gonna go with whoever. Uh, scammed me uh and said i had a job and uh didn't have a job i got scammed on like an internet <laughs> thing for like a job that i had to close my accounts and whatnot because uh, i thought i had a job and gave them my we don't we I, don't have to go in this slide it's too late i'm, I'm done I'm, I'm i'm done talking about it but I, but i'm but i'm over it. Uh, starting now you got you got any recommendations before we wrap up i, I do have a recommendation i'm gonna commit a cardinal sin of podcasting I'm going to recommend another podcast. Not only another podcast, another baseball podcast. Um, but not really competitors with us because it's a national baseball podcast. So <clears throat> I actually figured – I've been listening to these guys for years. I, I, I figured that most baseball fans would already know them. And then I was actually talking to some people on our staff who, who hadn't heard of them. So I figured I'd recommend them. If you're looking for a podcast that covers baseball from the national perspective, I could not recommend more the Cespedes Family Barbecue guys. You ever listen to them? I don't know if I've listened to them, but I am very, very Twitter mostly. Yes. I'm very, 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 very familiar with. Yes. They so they they started as a Twitter account. They started as a Twitter account when they were, they were college in Hebrew, the Hebrew were, school, not oh, just college, before, not just before that. Yeah. They, start, baseball, they, they were college baseball players, right? One of one of them was, um, but for like a D, you know, like a D three school. It's not. Don't he, don't don't talk shit about D three schools. I'm not. Right? I'm not. I'm only. I'm only saying that to emphasize that like they don't 
while one of them did play college baseball, it's not like he doesn't come at the game as a podcaster, as like as a player. Like that's not that type of thing. They come at the they come at the game as fans, as really really passionate fans. Um, and they know. I, I, I don't. I'm not confident there is anybody in the baseball media who knows more about baseball than these two guys. I think. I think if you gave these guys ten minutes and said list all 780 active major league baseball players. Each of them would probably top 750, um, but they're also just they're young, they're funny, they approach the game in a non-serious but very passionate way. I think if you're listening to this and if you like the way that that we approach the Red Sox, I think you would you would like the way that these guys approach the national scene. Yeah, they're like they're plainly superstars in the making, like absolute. Yes. Yeah, like you they, might as well they, get they, on. They, you might as well get on the train around. now. Yeah, they've been forced to bounce around a little bit. They were on, they were with the ringer until Bill Simmons decided last year that because he doesn't personally like baseball anymore, that nobody does. And he like cut their entire baseball podcast. So now they're back to being independent again. Um, and I don't know exactly what the name of the, let me look it up right now. Cause they have, because they've, they, because they've gone around to a couple of different affiliates, they've had to tweak the name. It's always some derivative of Cespedes family barbecue which it's so it's right now called the baseball barbecast. But first of all, if you get the reference of Cespedes family barbecue, then these guys are for you. If you don't get it, I'll just briefly explain. Do you, do you remember it, Brian? Do you get the reference? Well, I mean, I know it has to do with Jonas Cespedes, but I don't. Oh, you don't know it. the origin story. Oh my God. I may have I it, probably heard it. I just don't remember it. So, well, it's something to watch, not just here. When Cespedes first defected, um, he and his team put together like a 10 minute highlight video. And a lot of it, because there's not a lot of coverage of actual games in Cuba. A lot of it is just like him on a field in Florida somewhere. And, you know, some of it's normal stuff in like taking batting practice cuts. And then there's also like four minutes of him doing like behind the back catches in the outfield and stuff like that. Stuff that would be completely irrelevant to any major league scouts. And he's just out there like doing all these trick plays. And then it ends, the highlight video ends with like a completely gratuitous, unexplained video of Yoannis and what is presumed to be his family, but not really explained. And they're all just standing around outside in the backyard, maybe shirtless, or maybe that's just in my mind. And they're roasting a pig on a spit. And that's like the last two minutes of the video. This is the video that was sent to all 30 major league front offices when you're on assessments was a free agent after defecting. So that's where the name comes from. And that should give you that. That's like knowing that and knowing that that's what they've called themselves for the last 15 years, that's all you sort of need to know about how they approach the game. 15 years. My God. I, I went to the uh, home run derby at City Field that he won as a Met. Mm. And I got to say, I mean, partially because he was hometown, partially because he was great. It was amazing. It was a it was a total, total blast. The guy was uh, the man. Uh, I. And he, hey, Rick Porcello, Cy Young, because of Jonas Espedes. Uh, I will just recommend, uh, and I'm going to give Jake Wallinger a hat tip for this because he tweets about movies all the time. Um, and with Creed 3 coming out, I've been re-watching Creed 1 in like 20-minute increments. And it's 
I was never a big Rocky guy. And then I got to New York and all my Queens friends thought that was the crazy thing. So I watched all the Rocky movies and that's fine. But like, I didn't, I don't have any particular affection for them. So just regular plain old Creed is, I think the best Rocky universe movie I've ever seen. And I just want to add to that. Stallone is in it. And I had thought that like he was sort of giving a dopey ish performance, but Mm. I thought he was trying to cash in on stuff. And what I, what I realized, and it's weird how your impression gets colored by what you know outside of this is that he signed away the rights to this stuff very, very long ago. So he, he doesn't, he is not making money off outside of his fee as an actor. He's not like cleaning up in this movie and knowing that coming into watching this movie this time makes his performance like, like makes it seem like it's, it's wonderful actually. And it makes me rethink my own biases about the, uh, the like mechanics of putting these things together. So I've been yeah. really, I'm going to finish it probably right after this, but yeah, I'm old. So I watch movies and in, in <laughs> well, this is the phone. It's not that I'm old. Honestly, it's just that, you know, the phone got me like it got everyone else. My attention span is shot. Uh, so Creed. All right. Yeah. It's interesting. I, uh, I'm in a similar boat. I don't love the Rocky movies. I'm going to do like, I do think the first one is a legitimately great. Well, the movie. first is a, like a real movie. Right. Exactly. The first it's not is a, a boxing movie. movie. It's a real movie. I, I think the first is better than Creed. Although I will say, I, I mean, I saw Creed in theaters, and the two the, the 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 scene where he is running through Philly and he's surrounded by the kids in the dirt bikes. It's incredible. It's so and then, it's yeah, incredible that scene, and then and then finally in the final match where they finally cue the trumpets up in like the tenth round or whatever it is. Like I got goosebumps in both of those scenes and i don't know if a movie has ever given me goosebumps once before let alone twice and uh, i gotta say that watching it was sort of like a more critical eye this time because i've seen it before so many of the conversations with him and like his girlfriend or him and stallone coogler definitely these are they're like boxing. They're like they're not like he's clearly there's so many plainly one-on-one conversations that are meant to be like sparring sessions. Mm. And so that they're reflected and reflective of of the character. So, you know, this is all Jake Wallinger's milieu, and I'm just dipping a toe in it, but I uh I've really been enjoying it. And uh I think that's all I got to say. You got anything else? I got nothing else. Folks, the Red Sox do not play on Friday. Every Friday subsequent to this, Garrett Whitlock will be back. Chris Sale might throw hard. Adam Duvall might hit 60 home runs. We don't know, but we will be here to cover it on the Monsters of Sox podcast. Dan, talk to you next week. Talk to you next week. Free Yoshida's ball.